everyone, and welcome to The Art of Podcasting, episode number 33, Holiday Shopping Guide. Recorded December 9th, 2012, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. ElementOP.com. As the end of the year rolls forward, uh, it is holiday time, gift giving time, so we thought it would be uh, interesting to talk about some potential holiday buying, gift giving, asking for money grubbing solutions, things. How's that? Love it. <laughs> Basically, it's an easy show that fits in with the time of the year. Shh, don't tell anybody. And with me, as always, to uh, enlighten us with wisdom beyond his years, the great Professor James Messer of ProfessorMesser.com. Hiya, James. I don't believe a word of that. The, the part that's most remarkable to me, of course, is that we come up with what we're going to say before we actually say it. And, and in some cases, it actually syncs up by the time this is over. Sometimes, not always. This is true. What you see is not always what you get. So true. <laughs> so, James, anything interesting, unique, or worthwhile going on in your life these, low, these no many days? I have no floor. Well, that's uh, are you floating on midair i'm not i i they came and they took my floor away the people you didn't make with, your payments with the machines i didn't realize that when they said you have to make those payments that they would just come and take the floor away so the floor is gone i have no kitchen i have no sink i have i have no place to put things if i had a sink so it all works out really the there's a bit of work being done at messer studios and uh they are putting a new floor in. So the good part is I will have one someday. In the meantime, the everything is in a different place and and which is fine until you wake up in the morning and you need coffee and you have to find where's the coffee? It's somewhere. I'm sure it's in the, the studio somewhere. Where did we put it? I don't know. And so that's that's been sort of part of my day. The other part of my day is in a, in a completely separate thing. I have an electrician that will be coming tomorrow to the studio to put in additional circuits. Why the additional circuits, you may ask? I will not be telling you, but someday I will. Uh, but for the meantime, just know that they are putting in additional circuits in the studio. And the problem is where I, exactly the place that I need the circuit, which is right there on the wall. This is the place I need it. There's stuff in front of it. And I don't mean like I put a piece of paper in front of it or look, here is a poster board that I need to move. No, it's an entire full. I don't even know what to describe it. It's an enormous thing full of cables. I, everybody has this thing full of cables. Mine is in front of, of a wall socket that needs to be expanded on. And because I am who I am, I just can't have a few cables. I need a lot of cables. I need many, 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 many cables because you never know when you're going to need that S video cable again. You never know when that very, very two megapixel, that cheap two megapixel USB camera that barely worked to begin with might be needed again. So I ended up having to clean all that crap out and move things around. So you, if you're if you're someone who's watched this before and you're like, well, it looks per exactly the same in the back of them. Everything looks exactly the way it is. It's because you didn't move the fireplace. The fireplace was not moved because everything around this, like just out of camera range. So here's here's the camera and just on the other side of that chaos. It's 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 crazy. It's things piled up high um, like a cartoon. 
But uh, tomorrow we'll get all that done and everything will go back. And I'm sure things will go back to normal. Is it just this one room or are you remodeling your entire domicile? Well, the the floor is the kitchen thing. There's There are other floors that will be cleared out, but other parts of, of the home will be done. This particular power thing is a different project altogether. So there's there's projects upon projects. And of course, as I've mentioned before on the podcast, we all know that projects are biblical in nature because projects tend to beget other projects. And we tend to have multiples projects that spawn off of the other projects. So that's the situation now is, oh, let's do this one thing. And that caused another thing to be done. And that caused another thing to be done. And so on and so on and so on. But in my studio, the new powers, because there's goodies coming that need more power. So, and perhaps we'll even mention some of those things since we'll be talking about buying things for the holiday season and getting some nice gifts for your fellow podcasters. There we go. There you go. Um, you know, I have, I have re- replaced flooring in a home before, and it's all the pains of moving with none of the benefits. Because you have to move everything out of the room. Because in case you haven't noticed, everything's on the floor. So you have to move all the furniture and all your yep. stuff. Yep. And but you're not moving out. Yep. So you don't have boxes to put it in. You don't have That's right. you don't have another place right. to put it. You don't have a storage for no no. no. You gotta find some other place in the house That's to right. put it. Yeah, the only good thing that came of this is I saved up a few extra pennies to make sure that I would not have to be the person who actually moved things. I only needed to put things in boxes and prepare them. So if there's a shiny side of that particular cloud, that's the one. So you have all the same uh, pains of, you know, for months later, oh, I think it's in this box over here, but you don't actually get a new house out of the deal. Oh, I hope not. Well, just um, this week, uh, this weekend, uh, actually tomorrow, um, two days ago when this is released, uh, Monday, December 10th is my 18th wedding anniversary. Wow. Uh, yes. I married a woman. To who the was, same person. Yes, yes. Okay. 18 not, consecutive not like, years. We didn't even right, have a okay. break in the middle. Okay. And uh, I married a, married a woman who is almost perfect with, with the exception of her obvious poor taste in men. Um, how, how did you fool her? Um, well, she still thinks I'm rich <laughs> and she just, I, I keep telling her maybe next year I'll show you maybe. how rich I am. Yep. But, uh, we went to, uh, Savannah, Georgia, old town, historically historical Savannah. I took Friday off of work. And so we headed out there and, uh, we shipped, Beautiful the, city. shipped the kids off to military school. Nice. Um, and so just you too, just the two of us. Nice. And uh, we did the whole uh, carriage ride through the historic districts, the whole Very bit. romantic, and, uh, sure. Yeah, I, I banked up my um, romance points so that nice. I can be a bonehead for the rest nice. of the That's why you do that on your anniversary. Correct. So that when Correct. you're an idiot in July, you can point back and say, remember that really romantic thing I did for you back in December? And, uh, and it, it all works out. And then by the end of the year, you're sort of running low again, and you got to start over. Right. So we had uh, fine dining. Uh, stayed at a at a wonderful resort and had wonderful food and spent way more money than I actually have. Um, and, and so I'm back here, but I came here. Uh, I record two shows on Sunday night, beginning at 8 p.m. my time. Uh, we picked up the kids and drove back, and uh, I flew in the door about 7:40 p.m. Nice. So I 
literally ran downstairs with my bag of Taco Bell in my hand and set things up and began podcasting. So I'm a little out of it in terms of what's been going on uh, this weekend. Uh, I did hear that my beloved Cowboys won, so happy about that. Uh, That's otherwise, football? I'm sorry? That's football? Uh, no, it's Tiddlywinks, the, uh, okay. the right. greater Atlanta Cowboys. I don't follow, so I'm guessing. <laughs> uh, but apparently something that happened while I was gone is uh, Google Communities. Oh, my God. Somebody fill me in on that. Oh, my God. Google Communities are the coolest thing ever. So all the people that are saying this Google Plus thing's never going to catch on, man, because it's just a copy of Facebook and it's only the a certain group of geeky kind of people that hang out now as if you didn't have enough reason to hang out with those people already over the weekend they introduced community so if you go to your google plus on the left hand side you've always seen the home and the profile and the explore and the photos now there's a new little icon little green one of, of people's heads that says communities and it's a lot like what you would think of with uh with uh, places that have done this in the past where you have a forum and the forum is on a particular topic but imagine it on the scale of google plus and so there's there are now everybody can make their own community so now it's wide open it's not not anything that is constrained so already this weekend tons of little communities have have cropped up. For instance, there's one on IT professionals. There is a podcasters community. There is an internet broadcasters community. There is a uh, a lot of them are for the geeky minded because those are a lot of the folks that are on Google. So of course you get the Linux communities and the gaming communities. But now I'm, I'm noticing that people are starting to open up other types of communities like street photography and psychology, and and of course the things like uh, exploration and but there's the usual open source source software so there's a nice mix there of things that people would you would expect to see on on a google plus environment but then those things that go outside of that scope um and in the chat room somebody mentioned yeah didn't yahoo used to have something similar to that a while back well they at least had the forums to discuss it on there the difference with google plus is well first they didn't get rid of it or, or leave it out to to dry up um, and secondly, it, it adds in all of the things that make Google Plus appealing. So when you d drill down, for instance, in the pod, into the podcasters community, um, it brings up a, a screen that looks just like you're on any other Google Plus page. So it's so simple to use. And already flipping through this, by the way, and this is something important for you and I, because we, we think during the week of what are we going to talk about on Sunday? And just by going through a page of this today, I've got six topics that we could use for future podcasts because this is what people are talking about. So it's so hard to find a cohesive community of people doing something on the internet. They're so scattered and some are good and some are bad. You never know which ones are going to be the right place, but here's, here's at least an opportunity to do something that is completely centralized in Google plus and it seems to be working. I've spent a lot of time in here this weekend, probably more than I should have. And uh, really very entertaining. I'm connecting with a lot of people. I had no idea were out there. And I'm getting some actual com communication and conversations going on as well. So, uh, yeah, when I got back, I had lots of emails because I didn't even take my laptop. Yeah, I know that for a geek, that's almost sacrilegious. But What uh, is wrong with you? Yeah, I, uh, this must be some woman. <laughs> Uh, well, she she gave me three children, so I, I figured I could give her a weekend with no laptop. 
Um, I, I so, don't. I don't believe that's in the deal. But okay. When I when I get, got back and checked my email, there were lots of Google Plus activities, mm-hmm. uh, and I had been invited to this community and that community, and so now I understand why people are inviting me to communities. Right. And, I, and I hope it's see Google had Google Groups, which was sort of a quasi forum slash mailing list thing that Ugh. that never really did any one thing well. It did Awful. lots of things kind of okay. Um, and they kind of left it twisting in the wind. It's still out there, but it hasn't been actively developed. And hopefully that the, the reason they did that is they've been throwing all their efforts into Google communities. It is a, it is a, it is a fantastic start. It is a good beginning. There are a number of things in these communities that need work. It is, it is, uh, because it's in the same structure as the rest of Google plus. If you have a very busy Google plus homepage, you know, sometimes it's hard to sift out information and it's the same page. So these some of these communities have such valuable information in there, but they're so popular that now the pages are streaming by with information. So mm-hmm. I think that will be a challenge for all of us. Well, that's the Twitter problem. If you follow lots and lots of people, Twitter becomes unreadable. And you have to Yeah, but Twitter, you know, it's only 140 characters, so right. I'm only missing, you know, that much. Uh whereas on Google Plus, I'm missing some really juicy, important posts that can actually teach me something knowledgeable. One interesting side note, by the way, is I joined a community. And um, just to give you an example of how Google does have a few moderation issues associated with it, I joined a particular community. And Google Plus told me, you know, the person who moderates this community, or, or one of the moderators of this community is someone you've blocked. on nice. Google Plus. I'm thinking, well, I <laughs> I didn't know that. So I went to, it shows you the list of the moderators. I didn't recognize any of them. I went to look at my block list. Yep. Sure enough. He's, I blocked him for some reason. I don't know why. Um, uh, you got to really, I have a very thick skin and probably you too. We're on the internet and people like to send us messages that are completely unfiltered. Um, so you, after a while, you just get accustomed to getting some very, very, just hateful little messages come in and you just after a while you just get used to it. Hey, there's another one. Hey, put that in right there. Um, I rarely block anyone though, unless maybe I, maybe I did it by accident. I don't know, but I'm very, very sorry, whoever you were. And I unblocked him. So it's all good now. Uh, I, I'm, and when it comes to the social networking, I am very selective uh, Twitter, for example, I only follow a, a very few people, Facebook, you know, my, my friends are my friends, you know, and Google Plus, I have circles, but thanks to the ability to turn down the volume of circles, uh, I, I I try to keep my my feed um, to stuff I actually care about. You know, and I don't want this flowing river of things for the most part. I want the people I care about telling me about the things I care about. Uh, so that's why for for me, it's difficult to manage these mass communities like that and and i'm uh you know google has been really responsive about giving you those kind of tools so i'm, I'm hoping the this whole community thing will will be the same way because i don't want it to be blowing up my page or my inbox you know with with notifications and, and things like that so that's the problem google has and really any any of these services have is that i love it when it's blowing up I want it to blow up. I'm an information junkie. I want it to go so fast that I'm missing things. So I'm completely the opposite. I oversubscribe just so I can see massive amounts of things going by and I catch everything once in a while. Yeah, that's just, you know, different uh, viewpoints. I look at people who are following 10,000 people on Twitter and think, how can you even function like that? 
you know, you just got to pick something out of the stream as it flies by and hope for the best. Uh, that's not the way I like to work. I like to have meaningful connections with people. I agree. So I don't. <laughs> just happens that way. Um, okay. So moving right along to, uh, by the way, the uh, first of the major uh, religious holidays of the season has already begun. Happy Hanukkah to uh, those who um, celebrate such things. The Festival of Lights, the um, remembrance of a miracle of one day of oil lasting for eight days when it needed to. So uh, happy Hanukkah to our uh, Jewish brethren out there. Uh, we've got uh, Christmas coming up and uh, shortly after that Kwanzaa, I believe it is. And um, So anyway, uh, these are all excuses to go buy stuff or to That's convince good other people to buy stuff ab- for you. Absolutely, because we you got to catch up because we started the Christmas season. I think it was October the 15th, as I recall. Uh, somewhere around there. It might have actually like been that. the 12th. So, yeah. Uh, Christmas uh, before long will actually begin in February. The after Christmas sales will end in January, and then we'll start all over again. Won't even have to take the lights down. <laughs> Ooh, that scares me. Uh, the thought well, it should. So that you got, you'll have Santa holding a, a jack-o'-lantern is the way to work out. Those, those two things will just merge to one. I'm fine with that. The great pumpkin will rise up out of the pumpkin patch and deliver toys to all the good little boys and girls. It's a great story. So uh, anyway, just uh, in a uh, celebration of greed and avarice and all things banal, we thought we would uh, take this opportunity to, to uh, talk about some, some things that you might want to purchase. Maybe you've got some uh, end-of-year spending spree coming up. Um, maybe, I don't know. Uh, so you want to you wanna start 2013 off with better gear than you ended 2012. And there's no reason uh, not to have that as a goal. So let's look at some of the things that uh, you, can, you can start with. And, and the, for me... The first place to start is the the first place that the the words coming out of your mouth start, and that's the microphone. Uh, there are there are other ways that you can improve your your audio, and and perhaps some things even give you uh, more bang for the buck. But in any system, no matter how good it is, it's garbage in, garbage out. So consider buying or or asking your loved ones to buy you a new microphone. And uh, we've covered microphones extensively on the show in the past and you know that uh, both james and i like and use the heil pr40 podcasters microphone uh, but there are other options and we thought we'd talk about some of those james uh a few months ago you bought a new relatively inexpensive inexpensive portable mic called the little That's square it. mic That's uh, right want to share with us about that one and if i was smart enough to have it close by i could hold it up to the camera so the people that were watching would be able to see it uh and of course i'm sorry you interrupted me i was busy browsing on elementopi.com slash amazon so as i was saying um there's another thing that is also important when you're looking at microphones is that if you do look at elementopi.com slash amazon you may find a number of microphones there um, but a good podcaster always needs other sources as well, or at least needs something so you can get some other ideas. Uh, so make sure you have your BSW catalog for broadcast supplier worldwide handy. Make sure you've got your pro gear catalog <laughs> from Sweetwater. 
And of course, one of my favorites to hang out when I'm in New York City, New York, New York, is the B&H catalog here, the professional's choice. So those, James is those, a catalog enthusiast. Oh, I I love catalogs. I don't know what it is about them because they all have the same gear in them and they say pretty much the same thing. And I don't know. I'm one of those people um, from a catalog perspective. And of course, I have the electronic versions of these as well. There are some apps for your mobile devices and tablets that work very nicely that are effectively duplicate them. And these places also like to, to download the PDFs as well. The little square mic, which I cleaned up this. Oh, wait, look at that little square mic. So the little square mic is from uh, Studio Projects. And I got this little square mic, um, even though I already had um, a, a, this nice Heil PR40, which I love. Um, that is one of those things that you will only be able to pry out of my cold, dead hands. But one of the challenges with this is that it's a, it's a pretty big mic. Um, and it's it's kind of expensive uh, for someone to get the little square mic I found to be a nice uh, combination of size. You can see it's relatively small. It certainly travels well. I've taken this with me on trips and when I travel, I travel on planes. So you have to really conserve your space where you're going. But that fits in my computer bag quite nicely. Another nice and for aspect, those of you not watching the video, the little square mic is a little slightly bigger than a deck of cards. It is. It's it's very, very nice to, to carry around with you. Uh, it has a normal mount on the bottom, so it will fit on a normal mic stand or, or uh, a mic boom that you might have. There is also what I find really unique about this microphone is on the back is both a, uh, a mini XLR. So it's that standard type of XLR connection that we're used to, to using when you're plugging into a professional or in our, our case, a perhaps wanting to be more professional mixer. So your cables will be able to work with this as they normally would, but it also has built into it a USB connection. So at the same time on the same mic, you have an option. You can choose USB, maybe you're traveling, you're plugging into a laptop, or maybe XLR if you want to plug into your mixer. So a great choice between those. And and one of the things I really like about this mic is it sounds really good. It's a nice sounding microphone. Um, the, the nice part about it for, for me is that I needed the flexibility of traveling. I probably will never use the XLR connection because I didn't buy it to use as the permanent mic that I use, but I could have because it sounded so good. The USB is probably what I will use the most. And I like having that option available. If someday something happens to the, to the microphone here, uh, I'm in my office and I trip and spill my beer on the microphone and suddenly I can't use it anymore. This will be a very nice one to use to be able to, to make up for that while I next day, uh, another PR 42 to my office. Um, so that's that was uh that was a good purchase. I purchased it after uh hearing another podcaster used it and thought that's a great idea. I'm gonna get my hands on one of those. And it cost about a hundred bucks, was that right? I don't know. Let's find out from elementop.com slash Amazon. I seem to remember you saying maybe one fifty. I seem to remember it's about half the cost of a PR forty. Because we didn't plan anything, it's not like I have these things sitting in front of me. <laughs> it would have been so, nice, though, wouldn't it? 
as, as anybody can tell at this point if they're looking at it and you can get a blue a white a pink a black one for $179.99 delivered with two-day prime so 179 you can probably pick them up at a at a some other retailer for you know slightly less than that but there's there's your benchmark 180 is what you're going to pay for a little square mic. Still one seventy nine ninety nine. Don't pay one eighty. Still not uh, cheap, but in you know in terms of high quality microphones, and this is a a large diam uh, diaphragm microphone. It's a uh, it's going to be uh, a deeper, richer sound than your typical like SM fifty eight uh, or clone of an SM fifty eight. So yeah, you're going to pay a little more for it. But uh, it, we did a whole show. James was traveling. And he did a whole show using the little square mic, and it was it's a really high quality mic. Yeah, enjoyed using it. So nice to have the option. Uh, yeah, and, and I, mine, as you saw, was the black one. It was not the pink one. Yes, yes. Uh, when, whenever you know, whenever you have the opportunity opportunity to buy things in a color, for me, black is the color I like. The red one's the one I wanted, but they were out. So I guess technically I have the dark blue one. It's a really, really dark blue. It kind of looks black, but it's the dark bluish blackish one we have a comment in the chat room that you keep pushing elementopi.com slash amazon yes i get uh, a small um referral fee if you go there and it helps fund the network it doesn't cost you anymore your experience is no different other than uh you uh get a little cookie in your browser and that cookie mm. says hey i sent you there the cookie lasts i believe three days so if you go back in any time in the next three days make a purchase that you first looked at using my link I get uh, a small, like one to three percent, depending on what it is, uh, kickback for it. So good stuff. Uh, but uh, a couple other mics that uh, that I like, I mentioned earlier the Shure SM58, um, the gold standard of of concert mics for forty years now. Sure, um, they're uh, inexpensive. You can pick them up for a hundred or less. Uh, and uh, they're durable. Uh, they're, you know, there's all kinds of stories about uh, uh, gigging bands using them to hammer nails to put the stage back together and then singing through them uh, <laughs> the same way. Uh, so they're they're a good solid mic. Um, not it's not uh, going to be this the the same richness that a large diaphragm mic is, but it's it's high quality and you can't go wrong uh, with a Shure SM58. But my personal favorite is a knockoff of the SM because the SM58 has been around so long that their patents have expired. Now anybody can make one that is identical to it should they choose. And a company by the name of Audio Technica, a long-time name in, in uh, microphones, makes a product called the uh um wow, I just blanked on the name of it. It's my favorite mic. I talk about it all the time and I just blanked on the name of it. I have it right beside me. Let me vamp for 20 seconds while I it should be things. one of the same problem I had because I knew my mic was around here somewhere. I had That's to hunt it down, though. I can't remember what it is. <laughs> it's uh, the Audio Technica M4000. Ah, Does that sound right? M4000? You, you just made that up, didn't you? The Audio Technica M. <laughs> wow, there, there this is, is an really, M4000. Yes, M4000. That's okay. the one. Um, you can and if you look at it, it looks up. very similar to the 58 as well. Right. It's very similar. And you can pick those up. Uh, if you buy in bulk, you can get them as cheap as about $10. Bucks. Um, if you buy one of them, it's going to cost you about $30. Um, it's, a, it's a good starting mic. In fact, the first 
200 shows I ever recorded was through an Audio-Technica M4000 microphone. Really? Um, And I have one sitting right across from me. If anybody is in the studio with me, um, as my wife does on occasion, and sometimes I have visitors, that's what they use, the Audio-Technica M4000. Good microphone, inexpensive. If you buy them, uh, you can buy a... Like if you go to musiciansfriend.com, sorry, I don't get any kickback there. Uh, you can get a package of three mics plus cables plus stands for about a hundred bucks. So there's there's a a podcast starter kit for you right there. Hmm. And and before we leave the topic of microphones, I think I've spoken in the past um, that one of the the mics that I used early on myself was one that I got literally out of a box of not Cracker Jacks, but it was a software that was one where you're supposed to put a green screen behind you and it records everything um, was automated. It was timed. You could click buttons and have transitions. It recorded everything to disc. And the idea is you start recording and it records the entire thing that you were doing, a news story, a podcast, whatever it is, as the videos play, you want to play as the background, the colors, the transitions, you click stop and it's done and you're finished. Um, quite a nice little piece of software. I can't even remember the name because they were purchased by Adobe who promptly shut them down because they, it was just too good of a piece of software. But in there, they sent uh, uh, an incredibly inexpensive, really, really, really cheap microphone. Um, there are no names on it. I mean, it is it is the, the consummate uh, Chinese-made piece of electronics that is just bland it looks cheap it feels cheap it is it is completely plastic in in the way that is built but i put it on and it really did sound pretty good uh for for the type of microphone microphone that it was it wasn't an sm58 it wasn't the m4000 of course but uh for just a lapel mic which by the way don't get much bigger in fact this is huge for a lapel mic um but, but maybe that's the secret is they made it so big that it at least was able to capture a nice dynamic range and record stuff. It wasn't professional. It went to an eighth inch jack on the end. But if you got a laptop, that was a, a great thing to have. So don't think you always have to have the big fancy mic. Sometimes you can get away with something that's relatively inexpensive. Indeed. And if you've already got your mic and you're set there and you don't want to or don't have the money to go out and you're saving up your pennies to buy uh, uh, something else. Uh, you can buy something, a few things a little cheaper, uh, a simple pop filter. I'm using a very inexpensive one. If you're watching the video, it's, uh, it's in a, unattractive and obtrusive and it, it hides half my face and makes me look like Wilson from, uh, home improvement. But, uh, this is an audio podcast, so that really doesn't matter. A pop filter, um, is just a couple of pieces of, of, of fabric between your mouth and your mic to, uh, help avoid the, popping of your peas uh, and uh, sort of break down the sibilance just a little bit. Those can be purchased for, I think the one I'm using right now was 15, maybe $25 inexpensive. James has a, a more expensive one that mounts directly onto his PR 40, but it's also because he does video. It's more aesthetically pleasing. Uh, Tell us a little bit about it, James. The one that I use and, and to be fair, the PR 40 actually has a pop filter built into it. You don't necessarily need another one in fact if uh this this mic is used by many podcasters and if you see them using it you may not 
think there's they aren't even using a pop filter but um most of the time i like to have a little extra set of pop filters on there and like you said i i, I used i also have a big large pop filter as well as well but when i started doing more video i thought i need to i need to get rid of the clunky headphones on my head and the big monster looking thing and at least i'm not sure whether it was a good idea to have people see me or not but there you go uh, but bsw uh the broadcasters here i got their at the catalog again, broadcast supply worldwide at bswusa.com um, has um, a one that they've made. So this is a BSW exclusive pop filter that they've created just for the PR40 and for a very similar microphone to it, a little bit more um, pricey microphone by another manufacturer, the RE27. It's the same pop filter for both, and it's the same color. It is a, a very small uh, type of, it must be about two and a half, two inches in uh, in diameter there. So relatively small as it's sitting there, but that's just enough room to cover up the mic when you're using it. And as you can see, it stands off the mic by only about an inch or so. So it's really not taking up much room. And I think it looks pretty good too. And then uh, another thing that you can uh, uh, connect to uh, or add to your microphone is a shock mount. Uh, both James and I have uh, shock mounts and the, uh, the purpose of those is to cut down on the handling noise so that you can move your mic uh, to some uh, extent without the vibrations making it all the way to the microphone so that you don't hear that when you're handling your mic. If you grab the mic stand, the uh, it sits in a cradle, uh, generally of, of like rubber bands, essentially. Um, there are various models that you can buy anywhere from, uh, uh, they'll cost anywhere from uh, 200 bucks to 25 bucks depending on on what you want to use and james has a, a fancy little desk mount arm which i'm jealous of um as well i use just a simple uh, um offset mic stand boom stand that you i think i paid 15 bucks for it uh but uh he has a more uh versatile one that he is constantly playing with if you ever watch the video he's moving that thing all over the place all the time and you never hear a sound that's one of the things that I thought was pretty important when I started putting all this together is when I'm first, I, I'm a fidgety kind of person. So I'm constantly moving the mic around. So I wanted to be sure to get a mic that was not susceptible to that. And then I wanted to put in a arm and uh, at least a shock mount that would at least protect the mic because I'd be jerking it around all the time. And I want that noise to, of course, stay away. Uh, so this one's worked out pretty well. But the problem is, of course, these are not inexpensive because they are made just for the certain kind of microphone they're going into. The manufacturers of these can crank the price up just a little bit. So the one that I have on here is just over $100 for the shock mount. So I had to really bite the bullet and decide, yeah, I'm going to put the shock mount on here. And I have it on a, a boom that is a also made by Heil. I just went ahead and made sure I got stuff that was all Heil equipment for this particular one. I really splurged and said, I'm going to get the best of the best for this one. And the boom itself is, it's gotten a little bit older. It needs every once in a while, it needs an oiling. It needs some lubrication because I'm noticing it's squeaking a bit, but I have it on about a one foot boom that's connected to my desk. So it sits already one foot up because I have a monitor that is in front of me. That's a 
a big old monitor that you can't see unless I change the the angle of the screen to put it in there. So it's got to go over this big 27-inch monitor um, just to be able to to get down to where I am. And it works perfectly to have for something like that. But when you're laying out your studio and maybe you're listening to your podcast and you're thinking, that's a little loud when I'm, I'm moving things around or I'm, I'm moving my boom around, you may want to think of getting something that can minimize the amount of noise that's coming out of there. And these may seem like um, extravagances, and, and in some ways they are, but you'd be amazed at how much it can benefit your workflow to have something as simple as um, a, a shock mount. So if I happen to bump my mic stand, that's not an edit I have to make later. You know, and no, that, I have done some nice difference. bumps. I can I when I bang my my mic. I mean, you can bang the mic. It's not going to stop everything. Uh, but if you're moving things around, certainly that that helps a lot. If I forget something and I need to move over somewhere so I can grab a piece of paper or find that microphone that I left somewhere, sure comes in handy. Yeah, and for those of you uh, again not watching the video, which is most of you, uh, that entire statement James just said was him moving all over the place. Uh, keeping his mic in hand uh, while he did it. So it, it's kind of handy. Uh, so we'll move on from the microphone. Um, I'll say one quick thing. Uh, don't don't cheap out on the cables. You don't need to buy $100 monster cables, but cables do make a difference. Get good balanced cables if you're using analog audio and a good quality USB cable if you're using digital audio. It doesn't mean you have to pay $100 for your cable, but it also means that if somebody says only 5 bucks. You know, perhaps there may be a catch, right? And uh, yeah, if if you if you if something doesn't sound quite right, try trading trading out a cable. Sometimes that's that's all it takes. So uh, moving down the chain, once you're once you're through the mic, uh, you got to go into some sort of interface. Now, if you're using USB mic, it's got the interface built in, which is kind of what's awesome about that little square mic. It's two mm-hmm. two two mics in one. So true. Uh, and so you don't need any kind of interface. You can go straight into a computer with that. If you're using the Heil PR40 or the uh, Audio-Technica M4000 or the uh, Shure SM58, you're going to have to have something to turn that analog signal into digital. And an audio interface is the way to do that. Uh, I uh, uh, use very cheap, they don't even have a brand name, um, interfaces that with uh, stereo input and output and a USB on the other end. And that's how we do everything we do, coming over Skype, uh, they, they, they just do those cheap things. I bought them on elementopcom slash Amazon. I think I paid three bucks a piece for them after shipping. What? Yeah. Yeah. They were dirt cheap. That's pretty awesome. Actually, <laughs> it's kind of, that's really inexpensive for uh, a device that's changing that over between the, the audio, the, the analog and the digital, because some of these, like, uh, I have a PreSonus audio box 22 VSL, which I'm not using right now because of some input problems on this. That's a $250 device. And I'm currently using a, you know, the one I'm talking to right now is from Griffin and it's an iMic is what I'm using. The iMic is one I've had just forever. Um, and I, my plans are to actually swap these things out and get something a little bit better. And I've held off because I know I've got a project going on in the studio, which is another reason they're bringing the power in. So there's going to be a completely different audio setup in here eventually, someday. I don't know. Maybe. I'm trying. Um, hopefully someday soon we'll have something new in here. It's one of those those projects that's going to go on for a while. But in the meantime, this $40 iMic, and it's $40 the price on their website. You can get it for about half that on Amazon, uh, really is a nice 
connector that allows me to use the Skype and hear the audio on the the things that I listen to on the computer. And if I, there's a game, it sounds fantastic and just works out perfectly for what I need. Um, so yeah, I'm, I just did a, a quick search here uh, on Amazon while you were talking there. I, I like I said, I don't, I literally don't remember the brand of of what I had here. But here's a an analog adapter. I'm 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 pasting it in the chat room, and if I remember, I will put it also in the uh, show notes of uh, an interface similar to what I'm using, if not exactly what I'm using. That is, uh, I believe, six dollars. So it's uh, wow. ridiculously expensive. It's twice what I paid for mine. It's a <laughs> it's a SIBA S Y B A. I don't know which stands for Chinese manufacturer. But uh, you don't you don't have to have anything super fancy, um, but super fancy can certainly be nice. So let's talk about super fancy. What uh, you can go from there, like I do, I go out of these things into a digital mixer. And in my case, I've mentioned it many times on the show before. It's an Alesis uh, Multi Mix Eight USB 2.0. So uh, those those little analog adapters come into uh, in and out channels uh, through cables on my microphone uh, on my mixer. And that's how I do things. Um, you don't necessarily have to do that. You could do everything USB into uh, your computer and do all your mixing there. But I'm a big fan of good old-fashioned analog mixers, uh, and that's what I like to use. Uh, James, you're in the process of of sussing out brand new uh, mixers. Do you have a front runner right now? I do, but I'm not going to tell you about it yet because uh, everything is still up in the air. And um, I have a couple that have picked out. They were in a delightful Google spreadsheet that I've now listed out everything that I want, but I haven't quite finalized everything. So in the meantime, I'm using the mixer I've been using forever, which is the Alesis. Mine is the 16-channel FireWire version. One of the things that I've mentioned on the podcast before, and of course now it comes up again, is although this is a FireWire based mixer and I have a FireWire port on my computer, I don't connect up via FireWire. I use my Griffin iMic in this particular example, or when it's working, the PreSonus AudioBox 22 VSL to be able to take the audio out of that mixer and get it into my computer. And the reason I'm not using the FireWire is it doesn't work. It's never worked. Firewire just isn't these these interfaces, either USB or Firewire on a mixer, are good to a point. They really work well for doing particular things. But in my experience, some of the things that I've been doing, they fall short of really providing me the capabilities that I've always needed. Uh, a good example of this is with this Firewire mixer, I can pull in all 16 channels into my computer as 16 separate inputs, and I can record them that way, and it works like a champ. I mean, the it really does a nice job of capturing that audio and allowing me to capture it in all separate channels, which is phenomenal. That's, that's, that's pretty cool. Um, the problem, though, is there are certain applications that I use that will not allow that mixer to be an input. So things like GoToMeeting, which I use constantly during the day. I'm in there all the time. And I'll go into GoToMeeting with this FireWire mixer plugged in and they can't hear me. It's not an input. I can't even select it on the software. And it's not the only software to do that. I've got other pieces of software I use on here. And it's probably just a weird operating system, API-ish kind of thing behind the scenes. But unfortunately, when you just can't hear anything, you can't hear anything. So I end up having to use my 
Griff and I might to do things like that. So although it may work for you and it may work extremely well for you for those certain things, just be aware that the folks that make mixers are really, really, really good at making mixers and perhaps not as fantastic at making drivers for operating systems. And uh, yeah, we've we've mentioned that before. Uh, purpose-built stuff, get stuff that does one thing and does it really well, which brings us to the next thing on the holiday shopping list, and that's a recording device. Of course, I do my recording into a computer, and uh, and I uh, recommend that other people do that. That just works for my workflow. But there are a lot of people, uh, some very famous podcasting-type people, who say never, ever do that. Always use a purpose-built device, a uh, a digital recording device. And there are a number of those available on the market, anywhere from uh, the inexpensive, you know, twenty dollar voice recorder uh, up to uh, expensive multi-channel, uh, several hundred to even a couple of thousand dollar devices. And it all depends on what you want to do. Um, now, for me, I like to do uh, post-production and editing, and so having things on separate channels so they can ep- uh, separate out one channel and do different types of effects processing or, or different types of, or, you know, if James sneezes, I can cut that out and, and not have to mute everything or not have to leave it. Uh, that's the way I like to do it. Some people just like to, you know, uh, edit on the fly and, and record what comes out. And for those things, you don't need anything fancy. You don't need multi-channel. You just need something that can record what you're doing. Uh, so it all depends on what you like to do. It's true. And I, I, in my particular configuration in here, the thing that I use when I'm doing recordings, I'm normally recording to my camera. So when I have the camera on and doing videos, I'm talking to my camera and it's catching all of that and storing it along with the video. But of course, for what we do here, I'm, I'm not doing that piece. Um, so I also have, and this is also a good idea to have as a backup, I have a purpose-built appliance by Marantz. It's a PMD 660, um, and it's one that I got used, so I didn't pay the price that you see on Amazon of $549. Um, this is a professional um, uh, audio recording system that's got um, XLR connectors on it, so I can come right out of my mixer and have a very, very good um, selection, a very good connection there between that mixer and the audio device. The Marantz is, uh, of course, well known along those lines, and it's a very, very good audio recorder. Um, it is one of the few recorders at the time that was recording to Compact Flash. Um, a lot of the others were not. And Compact Flash tends to be, or at least is considered to be, a little more professional in the way that you're able to use it, uh, although I've noticed a lot of the other Others are now catching on and saying, okay, the smaller sizes of different options for for flash storage are certainly ones they'll consider. I've seen some nice zooms out there for $99 that are that have all the capabilities of this Marantz, all the options, all of the different encodings, all the different uh, the selections for frequencies. Uh, they're all there uh, for just a, a and, and with built in microphones for for $99. You can certainly do it much more um, uh, economically than this. See, I'm looking at one now, Roland R44 Solid State 4-Channel Portable Field Recorder, only $1,100. It's a bargain. <laughs> nice. Um, you know, just depends on what you want. But, you know, I, I go into a laptop, which costs, you know, can cost up to $1,100. But, and again, I do more stuff with it as well. Um, and so that's the next thing that I have on my list of things you might want to ask for. One of the the, the most powerful multi-use things that you could do to make your uh, podcast workflow better is a laptop. What? 
Yes, and a laptop or or, or a, I should say a computer, not necessarily a laptop. It could be a desktop computer. Uh, you could, uh, you know, uh, a Mac or a PC. It doesn't matter. There's software for both that does great stuff. Uh, but I think might... we both know that it does matter. <laughs> okay, clearly Windows <laughs> is better. Uh, but uh, that's something that people often don't uh, think of. They they look at, uh, you know, uh, digital uh, the microphones and the mixers and all that sort of stuff. But really what you do your post-processing on um, and your production and all that uh, can often be several times as much time as you actually spend doing the recording, particularly if you're doing video like James does. An hour to record, 30 hours to post-produce. <laughs> right. And And along those lines, that means that your requirements for a computing device are a little bit different than the requirements that other people might have. When I was I was calling the electrician to tell him I needed two 20 amp circuits, two completely separate 20 amp circuits put into my my home office. And he said, well, our, our home office, so you just have a computer, right? Maybe you have a printer and you don't need two 20 amp circuits. And I had to explain to him, no, my my needs are a little bit different than the guy who's just going through a spreadsheet on his laptop. And for your podcasting, you have the same requirements. I, I have, uh, I have old guy eyes. So I need a big screen. I need a big monster screen to be able to edit on. And if you're editing on those tiny little laptops these days, I don't know how you kids see these <laughs> tiny little laptops. And so I'm, I'm able to now see everything. So that, that's a nice upgrade. Uh, cause now you can buy those nice big LCD monitors. The prices have dropped dramatically and you can get some very nice uh, monitors that way. Um, I think also, of course, for audio, and, and of course, if you ever plan to get to do video podcasting, you're going to want a computer with a lot of horsepower. The latest processors that are out provide a nice bang for the buck. The nice uh, new i5s and i7s are quad cores in a laptop, and you can now cram so much memory into those boxes with your 64-bit operating systems that you can have 16 or 32 gig of memory, which is plenty to be able to do editing of some of these very large podcasts and especially some of the post-processing. I think, you know, I've used uh, those settings uh, when I pull up my Audacity and I say, let's apply a certain filter or a certain setting or a certain capability to this hour-long podcast. And then you sit there as it goes through yep. and analyzes and does all of its work, uh, the faster processors are going to be able to speed that process up for you dramatically. And uh, what you just described, there is my life. Uh, I spend on average an hour editing a show and only about 20 minutes of that is attended time. The other 40 minutes is unattended while I let something happen for me. Uh, and I'm, I do this, I do all my editing on a laptop. It's a quad core i7 with 12 gigs of RAM. Um, nice. But uh, yeah, it's got the guts uh, to certainly do all of that. The trouble is the hard drive speed, particularly Audacity, as you mentioned. The way Audacity works is it doesn't make a single recording. It makes thousands of one-second recordings, um, which is a really innovative way of doing things. It makes non-destructive editing amazing. You simply copy off stuff to different folders, and then when you undo, you just copy it right back. It's great. It works really well, but it just thrashes a hard drive unbelievably sure um and that's where the problem is when i when i go to to run a compression filter for example uh the little hard drive just goes and it goes crazy and the processor is not really doing it. that that quad core i7 is kind of sitting back taking a nap 
and the the hard drive is doing all the work, which is why on my Christmas list this year is an SSD card. I want to put a, an SSD hard drive inside my laptop, do all my editing on that, which should uh, speed up my processing 10 to 20 times easily. Uh, those can be can be expensive, but not necessarily. Um, they they generally uh, run about the same cost as a hard drive for about a tenth of the storage. So you could look at it as in, in a per megabyte, it's ten times as much, but per unit they're about the same. So you're going to pay a hundred bucks for uh, an SSD solid state drive uh, drive to pop in your laptop, but instead of being a hundred gigs, it's going to be a uh, hundred megs. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's an exaggeration yeah they they because the cost does of course uh for ssd there's there's an additional cost you pay over the hard drive but one of the things that really surprised me when i was first getting into editing audio and editing video was the massive amount of temporary files that were written to the hard drive and, and uh the comment was made in the in the chat room well it sounds like you just need more ram but that's not actually the case ram was not is not the problem you're not caching to disk you're not uh sending information to disk to make more room these programs will grab this data and so that you're able to go through and quickly move from place to place inside of your audio or video they create their own temporary files that are very often very very large so that you can easily scrub anywhere you would like through the audio or video very very quickly and edit make edits and pull things together and move them around the screen when i first bring a video in these days and i'm bringing in 1080p video to edit i sit there i walk away because i have a hard drive in my current system i walk away for about five ten minutes and then finally come back and it's done enough that i can finally get some things accomplished so in my uh my christmas list is also exactly the same thing and if you've never moved from a hard drive to an ssd you will have think you'll have thought that you've now gone 10 years into the future your world will change your colors will be brighter the the <laughs> smells will be stronger and and there will be more flowers um you'll see unicorns there there's an amazing difference that occurs when you put an ssd in when you first boot up your laptop you will be shocked and amazed at the raw speed and you that is the reason you find that everybody who has used an ssd is an evangelist for this and is telling everybody dude you have got to get an ssd it will change your life and they're absolutely right because i have an ssd in my laptop and it's night and day um i, I boot up and suddenly it's there you don't have to do anything it's just sudden it, it did it booted from from a cold start and there it is the the desktop's already available and i can only imagine the enhancements that will be available to me once i upgrade my system with that that new ssd in it it does sound like indeed that i'm on some type of drug trip thank you chat room yeah so checking uh, amazon uh right now a 256 gig which seems small when you think that laptops now have three terabyte drives in it but that's a lot of space. Two hundred fifty-six gig drive for two hundred bucks. Uh, so that's you know that's, uh, that's about there, right. There are other things in the in that neighborhood, but generally speaking, that's what you're going to pay. So um, you keep your OS on your standard drive. You add an additional drive to save your files on and do your processing on there. Tell it to uh, uh, to work from that directory, um, and you don't need you know I've got a drive right now that uh, I think it's two terabytes on this side. It's massive, maybe one point five. Yeah. Um, I don't use that space. Um, my 
I've got two partitions. I've got the OS partition and I've got the, uh, you know, another partition. I do all my living off the OS, but I save things on the desktop. That's on the OS partition. I don't, I don't ever use, and I think that's only a hundred gigs and that's what I use most of the time. Uh, so the rest of the drive is, is there and I have some stuff on it, but I'm not using that every day. So I think we've, we've, the, the, the bit bloat has gotten to the point where we've just all expect a 1.5 or three terabyte drive. You don't need that for most time, unless you're doing archival storage or you're ripping thousands of illegal DVDs. You just don't really need that. So the smaller uh, cost of an SSD, while it, it I mean, smaller uh, capacity of an SSD may seem like a turnoff. But when you think about it, how much do you really need? Whenever I look at some of the, the things on my wish list that I'm getting or planning to get, uh, one of those that I have listed out someday to have is a recording system where the recording is not done on the camera, but it is recording just like I have a purpose-built audio recorder. There are purpose-built video recorders as well that record to a format that is compatible directly with the editor. So you simply grab it right off of that recorder, drop it into your video editor. It doesn't have to do a lot of pre-rendering so you're able to work with it all of that thrashing around i mentioned earlier and those use ssds but now you're talking about about a 512 gig ssd half a terabyte that's a 500 unit so as you can see as you creep up to the higher capacities the price also creeps up so if there is a, a bad downside to that that would have to be it yes yeah, so, but that's getting better um, it is. It's getting it's getting cheaper, and we we've talked about it. Uh, we've mentioned it before. There is a a limited lifespan on an SSD. Every time you write to an SSD, you're physically damaging it. Uh, but the the odds are you're going to buy a new laptop before you trash the drive. Certainly, with the new SSDs today, we're talking mean time between failures that are that are years away. Uh, many, many, many years away, assuming you're writing to it 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And even this week, they mentioned some new engineering that they've come yes. up with to put the little heaters right into the SSD itself that, that will reheat it and get those running again. So it's interesting, the engineering that's going on. It's a brand new technology to us, and it's one that's evolving as we speak. There was a, yeah, um, a new, it wasn't a study, it was a, an engineering press release, essentially, this company that makes um, Flash RAM has the same problem uh, as an S SSDs are Flash uh, has just developed a process that they have tested uh, 100 billion writes on with no discernible loss in quality. So they they did a test. I don't that probably took a long time, but. Um, Basically, like, like James said, you uh, w you shove an electron through this uh, insulator, and that damages the insulator. But if you heat it up, you can melt the insulator and fix the hole. And so every every now and then, they just you know have some logic in there that that reheats it, melt it, fixes that. And so uh, ten uh, what, what did I say? Hundred billion writes later, they they didn't. It was functioning exactly like it was when it knew. So that problem is solved. Now we just got to mass produce it. So in the next three years uh, that will go away it just won't be a problem anymore quite remarkable cool stuff um, but yeah uh, realistically uh, a life uh, if you're looking at a, a standard desktop or laptop style um, spinning disc uh, they rec they say three to five years is their average failure rate uh, of of daily use those the numbers are all over the place it depends on how you look at it. but in the real world three to five years most people don't keep laptops five years for the most part but um 
let's say that uh, that you do your drive is going to last three to five years if you get seven years out of it you've done really well ssds tend to be more in the range of uh two to four years again to rough numbers so you're getting you know 60 percent, 70 percent of the life for a greater cost but the performance is um orders of magnitude greater yeah, and what we're seeing now, there's some SSDs that have come out. Um, uh, there was a 240 gig drive I've got specs on now that have um, mean time between failure of 4,861 days. So the numbers, they're just ramping them up rapidly uh, from where you, you think it used to be. So some of these drives are, are if you do the math, there's some of these that are, are spec at a million hours, like 114 years for an ssd those are those are things we we weren't even expecting from ssds to be anywhere close to that and they're already now approaching that and going farther right so uh, just amazing you know and the more people who buy them the less expensive they get so i think over the the next certainly decade a decade from now 20 uh 22 we won't know what spinning discs are anymore right the, my grandchildren will have no idea that there used to be this thing that spun around at 7,000 times a, a minute, uh, and that's how you got your data. Uh, so that's that's my list, James. Did you have anything else you wanted to add? The last thing that's on my list for the holidays is um, is a new power distribution unit. And this is one um, that I, I found because, well, I'm lazy. Um, I have in my studio, uh, when you're seeing the camera, you're seeing, of course, everything that's, that's in front of the camera. But behind the camera are lights, many, many cables, which I must say are arranged quite nicely. Thank you very much. They're not going everywhere. They're at least somewhat uh, reasonable when you look back there. Um, but it is hard to kind of crawl around. It's a relatively small room. This is a studio that's run out of my home. So there's not a lot of room like you might have when you'd have a big warehouse of space. Um, so I have to climb around back there and physically reach up and, and turn the lights on and off. You know, as we've started some of these podcasts, I say it's dark and I've got to, I get up and I go back there and suddenly the lights turn on. Well, this, this power distribution unit, which interestingly enough is, is made in the US by digital loggers is one that has a web a web server inside of it and allows you to manage each outlet on the device through a browser. And this browser works on your mobile device. It works in a regular browser on your desktop. So you can sit or be anywhere that will allow you access to this device and you can power devices off and power them back on. Now they really promote this for the use in data centers because obviously in data centers that are very big, sometimes they're managed from somewhere outside of that facility. But for me, I'd love to have something like that, that I could click a button and turn on and off lights in my studio. And that, that might be a very, very inexpensive way to do it. Um, this happens to be uh, one, two, three, five, six, seven, eight, ten 10 different outlets on here. Um, eight of them you can individually or remotely switch. Two of them are always on. And uh, you could buy it for $129 for an individual purchase. So uh, I, I found that. And, and, and they've got a way on the website um, at digital-loggers.com that you can log on to a sample one and see what the interface is like. So it was a lot of fun playing around with that. And I might get one just to see what it's like to have something like that. It can uh, turn on and off and be able to remotely manage some of this equipment that I have. 
Excuse me, I, I'll turn the lights on, but first I need to reboot my power strip. Hang right. On, just a second. <laughs> right. They also have one that's a big, uh, a 2U high 18 inch unit that will fit in a traditional rack that's really made for a data center. So it's, uh, it's something that you can get now that's pretty small. And then later on, when you grow, you can get the big boy. See, the way I handle my lighting here in the pod pod, i.e., my basement, is I have a motion sensor. When I walk in, the lights turn on. But sometimes, it doesn't happen often, but sometimes my lights go off while I'm doing a podcast sure. because I'm not moving enough. So you'll see me flailing around, <laughs> waving wildly, trying to get my lights to come back on. Uh, so for every solution, there is a new problem. There is, or you can just you know clap your hands, you know, clap, clap, and you know the lights turn off, or <laughs> or not. Every time you clap your hands, Tinkerbell get what is that? I don't remember. I forgot how it went. Uh, so anyway, there's a uh, from the uh, inexpensive to the very expensive. There's a few Christmas slash Hanukkah slash Kwanzaa slash pick your holiday here uh, uh, gift ideas. So if you've got a podcaster in your life, uh, there's some opportunities for you. If you are a podcaster, which you might be if you're listening to this show, there's some things that you can ask people for. And and the best way I've found to do it for my, my lovely wife, who wants me to be happy but doesn't understand a word I say when I start talking about uh, digital interfaces and SSDs, I just send her a link in an email and say, if you got one of these, I wouldn't be unhappy about it. Subtle. So, yes. Actually, I was at uh, a home improvement warehouse recently and uh, saw something there that I would like. I took a picture of it and sent it to, oh, in a text to my wife and nice. said, just, just FYI, this is here at this store, just in case you wanted to know. All right. So uh, this is the part of the show where we talk about lessons you learned this week. James, did you learn anything this week? Boy, I did. I, I said I was moving things around and, uh, I was bragging a moment ago on my cabling, but I'm bragging because I got a chance to go back behind my desk and really look through the cabling. I think part of it was an, an electrician is coming and they're going to see this. Um, it's one of those things where let's clean up the families coming over. Um, so I made sure I went back and started looking at the cables that I had back there. And I made some changes lately with um, a RAID array and I added and removed some things. Turns out there's a bunch of cables on the floor and power adapters that were not in use anymore. Even things that were still plugged in that were not in use anymore. And, and I don't know if you realize this, but on those power bricks that you might get for a laptop or other devices, or even the ones that are stuck to the, the wall wart type uh, power, they suck power even when there's nothing plugged into them. So um, I had a lot of things down there that were actually using power that weren't actually being connected to anything. So your physical infrastructure is is one of those important things that I don't think we any of us really spend enough time on. But it's worth getting behind your desk or getting some uh, some Velcro ties. These Velcro strips at uh, Home Depot, I saw a bunch, like a hundred of them. You can get for six bucks. Um, these things do amazing work on your cables. So maybe a good idea to get back there and maybe do a little bit of cleaning up just to make sure you don't run into problems in the future. Velcro is your buddy. It is. And uh, my lesson this week has nothing to do with podcasting, but I found it interesting. I have be become entirely dependent on the technology in my life. Uh, and and as, I, as I think I mentioned earlier, uh, when I went uh, away this weekend, I didn't even take my laptop. But I did have my smartphone with me. 
And uh, I didn't use it for uh, checking Google Plus and, and Facebook too much. I did a little bit. But what I did use it for a lot was navigation. For example, when I went to uh, the hotel that we were going, you know, in the old days, I would have asked directions from the clerk at the hotel, or I might have looked up the address and and uh, maybe plotted it on a paper map, something like that. No, I have no idea. Still, I've been there. I spent a week in there. I have no idea what the address was. Right. I simply picked up my Android phone, went to the navigation app, spoke into it, um, the address, and it said, go here. And I said, yes, ma'am, to the, to the female voice, and we went. Uh, and then, so there I'm in Savannah. I'm, I'm walking around. Uh, we, we had uh, dinner at this restaurant, and, and Savannah's a walking city. You, you pretty sure. much walk anywhere you want to go. Yep. So we uh, stepped out of the hotel. I spoke into my phone the name of the restaurant, and we took off walking. And, and I'm watching, you know, I got walking directions on my phone through Google Maps, which is awesome. You can choose walking, driving, or biking. Um, and so it's walking me down the street and tracking as we go and the little arrows, arrows going and, and we get to an intersection and I'm, I'm not really sure which way to go. So I, I start turning and I'm watching the, the phone, the little arrow, because it's got a, uh, magnetometer in it. It knows which direction I'm pointing. So it's okay there. So we go that direction and, and I must've looked ridiculous if anybody had looked up, but nobody looked up cause they were all looking at their phones <laughs> doing exactly the same thing. So we got there. We walked to where we were going. I still don't know the address of it. Don't even know what street it was on. Doesn't matter because I have this handy device in my hand. So uh, I, I never quite realized how entirely dependent I had been uh, uh, become on these things until I was in a new place where I knew nothing and had no context of my own and was fine. Google got me where I needed to be. You got to love that. I, I have a similar thing that I use uh, because I, I fly a lot, um, and I use TripIt, which is a great website that integrates to also Android and iPhone apps. And it's one where you just take your itinerary and you email it to TripIt. And in fact, you can even tell TripIt, here's my Google uh, e- email. Just check it every now and then. If you see something relating to travel, pull it in. And then you go to the website, and suddenly your whole itinerary is there. And when you want to go somewhere, you click on it and it just pulls up a map for anything that happens to be in your itinerary. How did we ever live without this before? I have no idea. I have no, and I don't want to go back. No. What's that uh, new TV show that's out right now? Revolution about the day the power went off. I've I've heard about it. I haven't seen any of it, but uh, uh, apparently that's that's the the scenario there. What happens when all the power goes off? Um, bad things. To me, I'm completely dependent on it now. So, uh, James, this is your time. Uh, your uh, you got two minutes to plug whatever you want. Ready, go. Once upon a time, there was a website. This website was one made for IT professionals who need to be able to train and train for free on technologies such as A+, Network+, Security+, Microsoft, Linux, and so much more. And, of course, you can always find that at ProfessorMesser.com. And if you want to find out more about me and what I do, that would be ElementOpie.com, where you find this show and the other fine shows that I do and the not-so-fine ones, too. Uh, You can also contact us there. There's a Contact Us button right at the top of the page. You click that, it will fill out a web form. It will send me an email, which I will then forward to James if it's a, a question or a comment to him. Uh, if you would like to be on the show in a very real way, you can uh, use the leave us a voicemail widget. Google Voice will give you a call. You can leave us a voicemail, and we will play it on the show. We've done it a couple of times before. 
So we encourage you to do that. Uh, this is, as I like to say, listener programmed content. You tell us what to talk about, and we do. So we encourage you to do that. Let us know how we're doing. You can also pop over to the forums there at elementop.com. There's an uh, Art of Podcasting forum. You can ask your question, make your comment, uh, discuss as you see fit. And uh, probably in the near future, there will be a Google Plus Element OP community Ah. happening. I don't know. Would that be redundant? I don't know if it'd be useful or not. Well, only one way to tell. That's right. We'll do it and see what happens. So uh, I'm I'm saying that's it. This was an interesting show. I learned some stuff. I uh, told everybody out there. One, and by the way, anybody out there wants to buy me any of these things I said on my uh, on the shopping list, <laughs> you're welcome to do that. That would be fine. You could do that. And uh, uh, failing that, you could simply go to the uh, uh, tip jar on the website and leave me a couple of bucks if you like the show. Uh, as another uh, podcaster that I like to listen to says, a buck a show, that's all we ask. Uh, but seriously, we've mentioned it a number of times, elementopi.com slash Amazon. If you do any Amazon shopping, if you do it through that link, doesn't cost you any more. I make a little bit of money. That would be appreciated. Do you have such a link on your site, James? I do not. I don't want your money. I just prefer people to send me hateful messages. All right. So the way, the best way that you can... can uh, Help James is simply go watch his videos. That would be awesome. How easy is that? So easy. Even if you don't care about it, just go watch it anyway. No, just don't go quite that far. But yes, (laughs) the more the merrier. We're we're happy to have you. Just go to your grandma's house and make her watch them. Poor lady. Really sorry, grandma. (laughs) Uh, Thanks, James, for being here, for your uh, wit and comment and wisdom. As always, and I appreciate you, uh, uh, your time and your attention and the hours and hours of pre-planning you put into every show. <laughs> Indeed. And thanks for having me as usual. And uh, for now, I'm going to say that ends this episode of The Art of Podcasting.